doing? All right, y'all. It's fall. Okay, and is it just me or does anyone feel like we were cheated out of a summer? Maybe, maybe it is just me and I need to have one last hot girl moment. So if you see me in my hot pants and blonde hair, don't say nothing, all right? Because that's my business. But for the rest of us, it is that time. We're going back to life, back to school, back to work in some cases. It's time to think about that full fashion, staying inside or continuing to for a lot of folks, watching those new shows and catching up on TV because it is the season. And we got sports on sports on sports on screen, all right, from the U.S. Open to the WNBA Finals this September. And we've also had a lot of sports on our timelines these past few months, from Serena announcing that she's stepping back from tennis to following Brittany Griner's horrific indictment in Russia overseas. Sports, we find, are bleeding more and more into our daily lives. And so we want to talk about it. We want to talk about our relationship with sports, with the literal blood, sweat, and tears Black women pour into them, and what sports are really giving us back. The vision of what a professional athlete is is changing a lot, and Black women are at the forefront of that shift, and we need to have a conversation. Even if, you know, you're not a Serena with the left, it's an important topic that we haven't really gotten into on GoOffsys, so we're going to do that here today. And of course, stay tuned because we have the amazing WNBA star of the LA Sparks and WNPBA president, Stanford grad, Sports Illustrated model, all the things, Neka Gwomake later on the show. She's been very outspoken this summer on all of these things. So trust us, you do not want to miss that conversation. But before we get into that, we're going to have a conversation with my favorite Unbothered crew here on Sports As you know, I am Chelsea Sanders, the VP here at Unbothered, and today, as we do this season, we are going to give some of our unpopular opinions on sports. What do we want to see more of? What are we done with? And how come these uniforms are still ugly as hell? All right. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I said we talk in fashion, too. So, all right. Okay, so I'm actually going to start off this one because I played sports. As y'all know, I'm 6'2". Yes, I'm one of those tall people who half of my personality is about being tall. Deal with it. Deal with it. Deal with it. All right? I played volleyball for over a decade because, again, I'm tall and black and I have to do something with this height. But I also have a brain. So I went to Yale and I walked onto the volleyball team and I hated it. I quit like five or six weeks in and could not stand it. The two-a-day practices weren't for me. I was like, why am I going to get up at six if I don't even have a class until one? Because schedules are important in college, y'all. But I also, weirdly enough, managed our college football team for two years, which was a huge mistake for a lot of reasons. But imagine like a hundred terrible white boys and like two black girls who were like in a lift doing like camera work and like on the bus with them. So just terrible. So I have a really like interesting perspective on sports, I would say, both as a player and then a spectator. And I think it's interesting because at Ivy Leagues, you don't get sports scholarships. So really everyone there were nerds who maybe picked up a ball and could carry it 10 yards, but you're there to study Chaucer, let's be honest. And so I think, you know, for me, sports was always an added, an addendum. It wasn't the thing but it was something that kept my attention for a few years, kept me out of trouble, to be honest, because I 
if I have way too much free time, then I'll get in trouble. We all know this by now, probably. And I think when we talk about sports, we talk about them as sort of, especially with college sports, as sort of being like really venerated or as these like huge figures. And there's this like cult of sports celebrity that I think I kind of experienced and understood, but also was sort of on the sidelines of. And so when I think about sports and I think about sort of what it looks like, it was incredibly different for women because even at Yale, even when there were no sports scholarships, even when everyone is a nerd, women's sports were completely, completely not on the radar. No one went to those games. No one cared about them. No one talked about them. And I think when we talk about professional sports, especially, I think, and maybe this isn't such an unpopular opinion, but I think that men's sports owe a debt to women's sports to support them. So whether it's college sports and thinking about, you know, soccer teams or volleyball teams, or when you talk about the NBA and the WNBA, I think the NBA should be the ones who are marketing the WNBA. They should be talking about the WNBA more than they're talking about anything else, right? Especially right now. They should be doing double headers, marketing. If you buy a ticket to this Lakers game, you get a ticket to a Sparks game. We're doing meet and greets with LeBron and NECA. Like, how do we find a way to bring up the women's side of sports when the men's side is so popular and the audience is already there? But in my mind, it's the men's sports responsibility really to help support them because ultimately then you're getting more money. (laughs) Like you're getting more money overall. It's really a business decision. So I'll start out with that. And hey, how you doing? How you feeling? Talk to us. Yeah. I, first of all, hi, it's been a minute. Not really. It feels like it's been a minute. But um, Anae Komodipo here, culture critic here at Unbothered. I have a similar take as Chelsea, and I don't think it's as unpopular of an opinion as it is a fact. I think when we're talking about the WNBA, the reason that people are not supporting the WNBA is solely because of sexism. It's not necessarily about lacking viewership or the audience. I genuinely think that a lot of people, specifically men who are super fans of the NBA, really believe that these professional, professional women who've been playing basketball for years and have been training at various levels, they really believe that they simply cannot do what the men in the NBA do. That's their belief. They feel like it's not the same, even though they're doing the same tricks. And, you know, I don't, I don't play basketball, child, so I don't know the intricacies of that. That's none of my business. But I think that men truly feel as if the professional players at the WNBA level are not the same and are not the mates of the NBA. Ooh, I mean, yeah. Hi, hi. I'm Kathleen, Deputy Director Global here at Unbothered. I did play basketball a lot in high school, and we're going to get to my unpopular opinion about sports in general, but I just want to hop into a little bit about what Anae is saying, and I do agree with you, Anae. There is, like, so much sexism that exists in sports. There are those people that think these women players cannot do what the men do, but there also is an audience, and I think— The idea that there isn't because people are sexist and they just don't care about the WNBA, I think that's part of why they don't put marketing dollars behind it. I think that people think there's nothing they can do to change these sexist minds, so they don't do anything. But, you know, in reality, I love this stat. In the past season, the WNBA 2022 season, it was the most viewed on ESPN since 2008. And that directly, I think, has to do with more marketing and more conversation around the WNBA recently than there has been in a really long time. So there is an audience for the WNBA. And for people who love basketball, I think there's always going to be an audience. 
Yeah. I mean, there's definitely an audience. I don't think that that should be a real reason. Like people are like, oh, they're not showing up and filling the stands. That's not true. But I also think that it's an executive issue as well. The executives, the people at the top are not putting in the effort. I've talked to executives from several WNBA teams, like the New York Liberty great team here in Brooklyn that's so talented and does really good work and has a devoted, dedicated fan base that shows up to Barclays whenever they're playing at home. And people have said that they don't feel like the people in the league, like the head honchos in the league are necessarily putting in the same energy. And so if the people at the top are not believing in it, if the people at the top are not advocating and pushing for support and money, because money is the biggest part of this issue that we're talking about here, it's a top-down issue. So if the people at the top don't care, it's hard for the people who are kind of like, I can show my support by buying a ticket, but if I buy a ticket... And there's only so much going on. It's hard for it to move further. So I agree with you. But I think, you know, the people at the top are part of the a big part of the issue for sure. Yes. All of these things are true. But I also like, because, you know, this is Glossis and we keep it 100. I can't say that I've been watching the WNBA season. I love that it's been the most viewed on ESPN in the past 15 years. But me personally, I can't say that I have watched a full WNBA game like this season. I've watched mm. snippets of it. And again, keeping it 100. I haven't watched professional soccer since the World Cup, right? Like I have been watching the World Championships in track because that has been really interesting as well. And that has also been more socialized and they've done a great job of marketing to your points about just like showing it and sharing it more. So marketing is a big piece of this. And we also have been conditioned, like you said, Anae, to think that it's just not top tier. So why would we even watch it? But I also think that like, if we're being honest, it's not something that is always on my radar when I'm thinking about sports to watch. So I think it's it's both a marketing and a conditioning problem because to your point, we've been told that female athletes aren't on the same level in A. And if they are, then that means they're cheating or they're doing something wrong or they've somehow gained the system because it can't possibly be that female athletes are doing this great and getting gold medals. Yes, absolutely. And like to that point, the cheating and the gaming the system, that kind of brings me to my unpopular opinion, which is that anti-trans sports bills aren't just transphobic. They're also racist and they impact all athletes, especially black women athletes, the most. So okay, there's these no. right, like there's these regulations being put in place, right? To bar trans athletes from participating in sports from grade school teams all the way up to amateur levels to the Olympic level. And these bans, yeah, are, they're hurting the athletes, but they're also hurting Black women and Black cis women the most because a lot of these regulations are about testosterone levels. And we saw that in the last Olympics. These two Namibian runners, Christine Mboye and Beatrice Masalingi, they weren't allowed to compete in the 400 meters because their natural testosterone levels, just the levels they were born with, they weren't allowed to compete because of those levels. So these are made-up rules about our bodies that are used to reinforce these ideas that Black women are too masculine or not woman enough to compete or just to justify saying that Black women have an unfair advantage, as you were saying, Chelsea, that we're cheating or whatever it is. And people, I think, now are coming around to being about supporting trans lives, but they stop at sports. They're like, yeah, yeah, I support trans lives, but not when it comes to sports. And this is an issue that affects everyone, and especially in Ohio and in Florida right now, there are bills being passed that allow coaches and doctors to examine 
this is really messed up, to examine the genitalia of any athlete who is suspected of being trans. Who is that going to impact the most? That's going to hurt Black women, Black girls, and just kids who are trying to play sports the most. I, I mean, I think that's an unpopular opinion right now, but it really, really shouldn't be. Again, it's not like there's an entire, like, swath of trans athletes getting gold medals or even getting to that level of competition. You know what I mean? So this, like, unfounded fear that, like, trans athletes are going to be taking over the sport makes no sense because, again, it's not like they even have a pipeline to be playing sports. Like, there are not a lot of places for trans athletes to even succeed or to find a way to have a path to play those sports. So this perceived notion that they're all taking over, that it's unfair, is completely fake. Again, all these unpopular opinions should not be so unpopular. Let's be real, okay? Uh, All right, Maya, I'm going to hop over to you, actually, now. All right? How we doing? What's up? What's up, y'all? You know, sleep deprived, but we going to rise anyways. You know, it's Maya, your favorite down south girl reporting live from Brooklyn. Unpopular opinion. I don't like that they try to use societal standards to keep black women out of the race. Like, what does my nail length and color have to do mm-hmm. with me running? What does my locks in the wind have to do with me being an athlete? I don't like it and I don't understand it. But at the core of it, you know I'm great. And you don't want me to be great on a global scale. So you put all these things in place, which are really centered around whiteness, but that's another talk for another time, to make it impossible for me to compete. And then you want to sit there and put barriers on what stunts we can do when we're better than your best. That's crazy. I've never seen that. I've never seen somebody be like, wow, that's crazy. You got an A plus. Why they give you that? We're not giving out A pluses no more because you got A. Where they do that at? The Olympics. They do it at the Olympics. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. It's a great point because we've covered this, and I think a lot of people are covering this, especially around Shikari Richardson, right, who has had her ups and downs, right, and has split the community, I think, even internally in a lot of ways. But one thing when sort of she was first coming out was she was, you know, had colored hair. She had nails, like giving Flojo vibes. Even Serena, when she first came out, her and Venus, they had braids, they had beads, they wore skirts that were form-fitting or shorts that were were bodysuits, right? And for some reason, we weren't talking about their talent or the fact that they were literally winning over and over again, but we were finding a way, by we I mean they, to talk about their bodies or their looks or their nails or their hair when it has nothing to do with the way that they showed up on the court. And it has nothing to do with their overall performance. And so when we talk about sort of Black women in sports, we have to, of course, talk about Black women's appearances because everyone is obsessed with the way that we look and the way that we show up. Like, we're not hitting a runway. We're trying to hit a ball. You know what I mean? Like, why is there such an obsession with the way that we look? I used to play soccer, like elementary school all the way up to high school. And I remember at some point I was the only Black girl on my team, which wasn't that much of a gag because it's like, it is what it is. A group in Texas and playing soccer, like, yeah, you're going to be the only one. But I remember there was a lot of conversation between my coach and I about like how I would like my energy and my appearance there. Like, you know, you're playing defense, so you want to be aggressive, but you don't want to come off as too scary. Right. Like, and there was something about as a white woman telling me this and being like, you know, you want to come off as like a good sport and play the game and stuff. And I'm like, I'm playing defense. I have to be a little bit aggressive so that they don't feel safe to come and score on our goal and things like that. And I remember that representation problem and them overly policing me 
Other than the fact that I wasn't going to play at the college level, I wasn't going to go be professional. Other than that, that policing of my appearance and of my energy was a huge part of why I decided to stop playing. Because I was like, you know what? I feel like there are better ways for me to be using my time than to be the only black girl in this league on this team and always have people criticizing the way that I look or the way that I come off. Because I'm also having self-esteem issues. You know, I was a black girl with a different type of build, a different type of hair, like texture and whatever. So I'm already going through puberty and having to worry about that on top of that. And then at some point when I stopped playing and I, you know, faced my books, true to my African mother's desire, faced my books, got into a good school. I went to the University of Texas at Austin, big sports school all around. And I got to the other side of sports where I was tutoring athletes. And so not only were people caring about their appearances, especially black athletes, so policing their appearance, but then policing everything else about their lives. Right. So people who were waking up and going to practice and only practicing and doing whatever. A lot of these students were telling me in these sessions where you know I'm teaching them, tutoring them on Spanish and writing and this is and that. And they're saying, like, sports are the only things I'm allowed to do. I'm not allowed to care more about school than about the game itself. And it was really hard because it's like, you know, in my head, I'm like, yeah, it's lit because school's trash. College is hard, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, no, I wish that I could care about Spanish. I wish that I could be a real English major and like write and study and read all these books and stuff like that. And people were telling me that they felt like they didn't have a life because they were also being policed in that way, too. And so on a different level, as a non-athlete, you're seeing it as like, you know, you're kind of getting through life in a different way. And for them, they were like, no, I'm becoming a machine where sports are everything. And the only thing that I'm allowed to care about, I can't pursue a romantic interest or like friendship or hobbies that are not related to sports. And I just, you know, I always think about that. Like, thank God I didn't make it because imagine my whole life having to become about soccer and putting everything aside is like something that I will always feel bad about. We talked about Serena Williams, but thinking about like LeBron and Simone Biles, Naomi Osaka, people who are incredible athletes. But they have said what the sport has done to them in a way is to make them the sport. I'm only tennis. I'm only basketball. I'm only this. I'm only that. And I thought, man, when sports is your only foundation, when the game is your only drive, because people have drilled that into you and never allowed you to be anything else because they're policing that part of you, too. There's nothing that you can be outside of that. And so it's just like something that I, I literally always think about that. Like you can't have long nails you can't have weave. You can't be blonde. You can't decide to be like, you know what? Maybe I'm going to pick up a hobby. I might pick up crocheting. No, you're not. You're going to get to the gym. You're going to do another lap. You're going to do this. And it's so miserable looking in from the outside. But I feel like kids like that are like conditioned from a very young age to be For sure. those kind of athletes. So I feel like we definitely need to look at the parents in the community. So why are we only amounting the child's value to this sport? Why aren't we saying you can be great at a multitude of things? And I understand it's the get out of the situation mentality and I support whatever you got to do. But pigeonholing a child into such a niche profession, one that is literally lingering on your body. So if you play in football and that ACL pops out of nowhere, mysterious black magic type thing, it's up for you. Yeah. It's up for you. And what do you have to fall back on? If you didn't make good grades and you were pushed through school, nothing. So at what point do we say, you guys, <laughs> you're more than just a sport and you have other options and I hope you can pursue them or you should pursue them? Yes. I think in an equitable world, that would be ideal. 
at this point in time, I don't know that we live in an equitable world where those resources or those opportunities or even that mentality is available for everyone. So I hear you. And I think that's very fair to say, like, let's figure out how to way to be multidimensional. But I also understand the value of sports as a kid and what that brings to young women and young Black women when it comes to confidence and when it comes to being able to navigate tough situations. And then on the other side, if this is the only chance that they're going to get to be able to go to college or to reach a different level, or to see a different country, to travel outside of the country, or to travel to a different state, I'm hard-pressed to say no, and to say, yes, it's always the parents' fault, and that, like, they shouldn't be telling them to go achieve in sports, because unfortunately for a lot of people, those resources aren't available in other ways. Yeah, and the nuance of, like, the perspective towards sports as a ticket, as, like, the golden ticket, really depends culturally, right? It depends on who we're talking about, where people grew up, the resources that they have and the accesses to said resources. I think about how my parents put all of my siblings and I into sports. And we're like, yeah, it's a necessary part of your life to know how to play soccer because it's going to teach you teamwork and it's going to teach you drive and discipline and this, this and that. But ultimately, you are not going to become a professional soccer player. Know that. So I think it really depends on the, the culture and the nuance of it is very interesting because not everyone thinks the same way. Of course, if your parents put you in sports, they want you to be the best of the best. But sometimes it's just like getting the trophy. Sometimes it's just getting the win and winning the championship. And then you go back to the real thing that is going to make you a winner, which is to them and to a lot of people getting a college degree, getting a high paying job, this, this and that. But don't you think that's like kind of performative for African parents to be like, yeah, I want you to get the fundamentals of sports because they teach you life goals, but a professional one, that's out of the question. Because to me, it seems like athletes, a lot of these athletes not broke. They're not poor out here. You know what I'm saying? So the fact of the matter is, is it performative because doctors and lawyers are highly respected in white spaces and white places and the proximity to whiteness is what is being preferred in this situation? Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to sit up here and act like the desire for your child to be a doctor over a football player is based on anything other than respectability politics. That's really what it is. But I also think there's something negative in a lot of these parents' minds. And even I think sometimes in our generation, too, about doing something that involves your body over your mind, something that puts your body in harm's way, something that's very physical. It's just more dangerous. Like, why would I do something like that? It's just like that doesn't feel like a real job. That doesn't feel like something that's legitimate for a lot of people. And then another unpopular opinion, and this is something that I hold true and I feel like it's connected to that thought process, is that modern professional sports and the way that it plays out for so many people that we've seen, it's a form of slavery in a lot of ways. What you are putting into it, the blood, the sweat and the tears, the money, because a lot of people are paying for coaching and training and this and that. The physical injuries, people literally breaking their limbs, people dying, people having like degenerative health issues to the sense that your brain is literally breaking down over time. It is not worth the effort that you're putting in and you are never going to get as much money as you deserve for putting your body on the line every single game. I think about LeBron James being a billionaire, excited for him, but LeBron James should be a quadrillionaire for all of the work that has happened, but he's never going to be richer than the NBA commissioner even though he's the one doing the work. It's just, it's giving slavery. And it's also, LeBron is is an example that is like the exception who actually does yeah. become a billionaire. It's yeah. slavery when it's the student athletes, as I mentioned, who get nothing. 
you yeah. know, who are, if you're playing football, like they are, like you said, physically killing their bodies. CTE is that degenerative disease that kills them. You know, and what happens to that linebacker whose brain is compromised by playing the sport and who doesn't get endorsement deals after, who isn't going to go on to make a billion dollars, who doesn't even make it to the NFL? Your point absolutely stands. Like, it is slavery, especially when it comes to that person. And LeBron is the exception. Yeah. And I think that's a great point because even if you do make it to the big leagues, to professional sports, whatever that is, what do you get when you get there, right? I feel like for a lot of people who make it to this level, like you said, Kathleen, it's 2%. So it's the best of the best of the best of the best. Blood, sweat, and tears, all of that energy. And then they make it into the leagues and it's like, well, then what is the league giving back to us? As you said, most of these teams are owned by white people. The money is going back in their pockets. All of this sort of like accolades that they may get, they don't get necessarily paid for them. They have to scrounge to get endorsements or they have to play internationally in the offseason. I think a really clear example of that that we've seen now is Brittany Greiner, who is still currently detained in Russia and was just recently sentenced to almost 10 years in Russian prison for allegedly having hash on her person in Russia. And again, it's something that we've covered at Unbothered, something that has been covered across CNNs and all of the things and all of the places, but she's still there. And for someone who has given a decade of her life to this league, where are they? Where is the government also? Like, where are these people who were making money off of her and now are nowhere to be found? And I think it's also a question of why did she feel like she had to go to Russia to play in the first place? right? Why isn't the WNBA necessarily offering a livable wage? Why is there a cap at $250,000 for anyone who plays professional women's basketball? What are we really getting for what we're giving when it comes to these sports? However we feel about it personally, we recognize that they are really pursuing excellence in their own ways, right? And so thank you for the Simones, the Serenas, the Britneys, all of you for showing us what that looks like. Because again, we need to be able to see it to celebrate it and give you all your flowers. All right. Okay. And now we have reached the end of the discussion, but wait, we are actually on my favorite part of the conversation. Yes, my dears, the don't at me. In case y'all forgot or need a reminder, the Don't At Me is the part of the conversation we use to tie a bow on our discussion, give y'all some food for thought, and some energy just to move about your day with. And in case the title wasn't clear, you cannot at us, okay? Nothing. Nunca. Non. Nine. No. Heart emoji. And for this one, I'm going to give it to the pre-professional basketball player herself, if it hadn't been for that career-ending injury, Miss Kathleen Newman-Bermang. Take it away. Oh, thank you, Charles. You forgot three-time defending hurdles champion. Oh, yes. Right. Anyway. All right, all right. Let me just start this off by reiterating that Brittany Griner should be free. Brittany Griner should be at home with her wife, Sherelle, and her teammates, but unfortunately, she is a prime example of what happens to women athletes, especially black ones, when systemic structures in sports ignore and undervalue them. Going all the way back to 1968, when black athletes John Carlos and Tommy Smith raised their fists on the Olympic podium in a black power salute, to Gwen Berry turning her back at the national anthem in 2021, to the WNBA players wearing their incarcerated teammates' number on their jerseys, to the conversation you're about to hear from NECA Goy McKay, black Black athletes have been using the pedestals they're placed on to protest, 
to fight back, to run the long and never-ending race to freedom in America. But of course, there are hurdles in their way. And for Black women, those obstacles keep getting higher and higher. And yet, we stay winning. We stay dominating every sport we choose to enter, even the whitest ones. We live in a world where Serena Williams became the greatest athlete of all time and the most dominant athlete in her sport, one of the whitest sports ever. Her legacy lives on in Naomi, in Coco, and in all of the Black female athletes daring to be great and human and who are putting their mental health first. Shout out to Simone Biles. So here's what we know for sure. Black sweat builds empires. Mm. Black sweat makes billionaires. And Black athletes are the ones keeping the lights on in every sport they are a part of, and they deserve compensation, credit, respect, rest, and grace. Black women hold up tennis, basketball, swimming, track and field, gymnastics, I could go on. Our bodies are capable of awe-inspiring feats, of unimaginable brilliance, and of beating even the most worthy opponents. But let's not forget that athletes are still workers. These sports are their jobs. And if they are putting their bodies on the line, they deserve more. The WNBA deserves more, and Black women deserve better, especially when we are the best. Don't at me. Free Britney Griner. Mm. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Luther King. Yeah. Also, you had to. I like that. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Welcome back to season five of the Go Off Sis podcast brought to you by Target, our partner this summer as we celebrate Black joy. This season, we've been reminding you what it means to be that girl. And you know we're not about to stop now. So whether you're in class, the boardroom, or working remotely beachside, I see you, friend. Target has everything you'll need for a summer full of Black joy. To learn more about how Target is investing in our community, head over to Target.com slash Black Beyond Measure. Okay, y'all, I am so excited for this conversation. Our special guest today is one of the most accomplished players in the WNBA and has a resume as long as I don't even know what, okay? And when we say basketball is in her blood, for her, it really is. She is one of four amazing sisters. We had her younger sister, Chenny, on the podcast, and we knew we had to keep it in the family and bring on the head of the table. She is Excellence and Equity Personified. She is the president of the WNPBA, the WNBA Players Association. She is the 2016 WNBA MVP and champion, an all-star over and over, first overall pick for the Sparks in 2012. She is a winner with Team USA, also Sports Illustrated Girl 2022, all right? Locks goals, hair goals, energy goals. Please, please welcome to the Go Off Sis podcast, Neka Agumake. Neka, welcome Woo! so, so much. Hey, that's an intro. <laughs> wow, yes. that, that was an intro. I'm overwhelmed. Oh. We only do it for, you know, we do it for the best. We give our flowers here. And as we just heard another accolade, you're also a regular Coasts listener. So you have given us so much, even just knowing that you are part of this Unbothered fam. So thank you so much for joining us and being a part of this conversation with us today. That's my favorite accolade. I really do appreciate the space you guys have built for Black women, especially Black creative women, I think that's also a space that's been so neglected for so long. And to to provide an avenue for women to just 
go off and not be labeled angry is important. So I'm really happy about that. Oh, you're just filling up our cups. <laughs> like, this is so fun. Thank you. Thank you. We are so grateful and humbled for your energy and being a part of our Unbothered community. That is why we made Unbothered. That's why we stay Unbothered and will forever be. And thank you for joining us. I think as we were thinking about this episode and thinking about having and opening up a conversation about Black women in sports, it just felt incredibly prescient and incredibly relevant right now. You know, it's been a really interesting year for the WNBA and for sports overall, frankly. And with the league and players making news both on and off the court in a way that we really haven't seen for the past years I could even say three to five years, let alone 10 years ago, I couldn't even imagine sort of the WNBA making headlines in the same way for a lot of different reasons, right? And obviously there have been specific reasons for that, but I want to talk to you and open talking about what is distinct about this moment, right? Now that is drawing attention to the WNBA. You mentioned while you were playing at Stanford, big flex, that <laughs> you could, you didn't even think about going professional until your senior year because you didn't think it was something that was even possible. So when you think about where the WNBA is now and the attention and energy that is being focused on it versus when you were in college, can you talk about how this moment is different from when you and your sisters were coming up as basketball players in college a little bit? Yeah, no, I'm really happy you recognize that. And I think especially like for women in sport lately, you can kind of feel this energy that's been building. A lot of us, though, who are true to it, not necessarily new to it, don't feel as though it's really any different from what we've been experiencing. But people are now kind of privy to what's happening. But like to think back 10 years ago in this moment, I didn't think that it was a reality for me to make sports like my career. And It wasn't because it wasn't there. It was because I didn't have access to it as a lot of athletes who seek NBA, NFL, NHL. And so it was truly a, if I couldn't see her, I couldn't be her. And it took a lot of research. Of course, being Nigerian, no decision you make is on your own. It's like a family, it's a family decision, you know? (laughs) So my parents, I'm very grateful that they were a part of like my process of trying to figure out what my career would look like moving forward. But then even still knowing that I was probably going to get drafted number one, I had um, a very successful career on the court in my senior year at Stanford. There was still this underlying, okay, we'll get your post-baccalaureate. You know, maybe you should apply for business school. I mean, I took the GMAT, I took the GRE. I was in business school at Mm. one point while I was overseas and there was still this aspect of needing a safety net because for women, it's not feasible that you can really live your dreams out when it comes to being in sport. And so to now be in a space where you have women who are leading on the court, leading off the court, who are representing the most followers on social media in college, you know, like it's not something that I don't want to say I never thought I would see It's just such a blessing to be a part of it while it's still happening. And at this point now, I mean, I guess kind of to go to your real question, right now we're experiencing a pivot, like a pivot that hopefully those who see it happening want to be a part of it because it's getting to a point where it's going to be too late for you to be a part of it once Mm. it really takes off in the way that we envision. So I'm excited to also be a part of the groundwork of it, being the president of the Players Association 
it ended up being way more than I ever imagined. Initially, I did not want the job. No one really wants the job. It's not glamorous, but I'm hoping that my involvement and the team that I've been with have made it so now. I'm hoping that it's no longer a position where I'm running unopposed or anyone in the future is running unopposed. I want people to clamor for this position because they know it means change. They know it means progress and it means collaboration and mobilization in ways that we can literally see and make it happen. Well, damn. (laughs) (laughs) That, yeah, no, that, that, yes, that is a fantastic answer. I think, again, speaks to your history with basketball, history in the league, and what you're hoping to build for more people, right? So that it feels like it's something that folks can get into freshman year, sophomore year, Mm -hmm. that feels like they don't have to necessarily have a backup plan, but that also the WNBA is supporting them when they are, when they do come up, right? And that these players associations have an opportunity and have a voice to be able to support these players and support the league in a way that feels constructive, productive, and ultimately competitive, right? Because Mm -hmm. that's the sport. So I hope that there are more behind you who are doing the same and thinking about it in the same sort of 360 way that you are. Yeah, I think so. And it's quite remarkable, too, because I just finished my 11th season. So I entered the league when none of this seemed like it was going to happen. I guess like I'm like a true... I'm like a true millennial, especially like when it comes to being in the W, because the ones that raised me are like the OGs, you know, that Mm. retired and everyone knows like Lisa Leslie, Tina Thompson, Lauren Jackson, like everybody knows Cynthia Cooper, like those players I was very well aware of. And now I'm entering, I'm entering like a position where those players are, they almost seem like just distant legends to the players that are coming in now. And so it's on us to be able to continue that knowledge and that awareness of the history because a lot of what women in sport are doing now are just breaking down hella barriers like they're all over the place but we can't think that we started it i think that's what Mm. makes women so strong is that we know where we came from we know who opened the door for us and we don't close doors like we walk through doors that people open we leave them open we build a path moving forward you know we lift everyone up and maintaining that is really important, especially for women in general, but especially in sport, because I mean, Title IX was only 50 years ago. There's plenty of 50 year olds right now. That's uh-huh. kind of how I see it. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of people who are in their yeah. 50s, 60s, 70s that knew a time when this <laughs> there's no way they ever imagined that I would be able to be playing for a living, you know, basketball. And so kind of upholding that is really important. And I think we have a lot of players just because of the nature of how women are that understand the importance of that culture and where they can push it forward. Mm -hmm. I feel like everybody's in church. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. No, Abby Willison. Yes, Pastor, come on. Basketball church. I love that. I think it's really cool that you're talking about the connection between not the past, because I feel like that's a weird way to describe it, but people who started this, the people who are doing the groundwork and setting the foundation and the present and the future. Because one of the things that we were talking about this earlier, that 
sports is built on is the lore and the history, right? And the mysticism and the fantasy of this thing. This is a world. These people are all connected. Remember this game where this person played against this person? I don't know if you can tell. I'm barely in okay. sports like that. I too, once upon a time, was in it. But there's like a magic and a mysticism that goes into sports. And I think that that for the WNBA, building that, and we talked about that, building that and emphasizing that magic and that like creation story, that origin story and how it connects back then to now is so important. And I think that part of that starts for your journey too, is like going to Stanford. Stanford is a big sports school for a lot of ways. And I think for you as a Nigerian teenager, telling your parents like, you know, I want to go to Stanford. They're getting excited. Yes. Oh my gosh. Of course you want to go to Stanford. Amen. You're like, no, I want to play mm-hmm. basketball though. Sorry, like, what are we talking about here? So I'm very curious as a person who's also Nigerian, my mom probably wanted me to go to Stanford, not for sports, but like she was like, Harvard is possible. MIT is possible. This is this and that. For you, why was it so important for you to go to Stanford? Because it's like there are many schools and there's things. But for you, what was it that was like, oh, this is a school I want to go to? I love that you asked this because... A lot of it is kind of like it's the condition of being a woman. It's the condition of being a child of immigrants. It's also the kind of the condition of being, I guess, a multi-hyphenate at such a young age. Mm. <laughs> because as women, especially Black women, we can't just be good at one thing, you know? Yeah. We, we can't just be good at one thing because if that one thing doesn't work out, what happens? Hello. So growing up, initially, you know, my parents very, very much wanted us to be instilled in in Nigerian culture, I was raised in Houston, Texas. So like, that's like little. <laughs> wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Not your family. Wait a minute. Not your family. Girl, I'm from okay, Houston. Sorry, go ahead, go ahead. I'm from Houston. Come on. So, you know, it's like little Legos in there. So yeah, <laughs> there was a lot of cultural influence. And a lot of how my parents raised us was about obviously education is key. Getting along with your siblings, not being a problem in school being well-rounded. So it was like, we had to, one, get get good grades, figure out if you were into sciences or literature, because then that determined whether you were an engineer or a lawyer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And then being a part of clubs. And then eventually, like, my mom is very health conscious and my dad too. And so getting us kind of like active with our bodies is kind of how it started. And then it was like, okay, let's get into like some organized sports because my mom is in education. So she has a lot lot of colleagues who knew about like club teams and we all had to play piano, of course. So like there was so much that kind of shaped me into becoming an athlete and understanding how I could express myself with my body in that way. And then ultimately that opened different doors. And then the recruiting letters started coming in. And so I was like, oh, you know, because college is always like in Nigerian culture, really African culture. You know, you don't really celebrate the high school graduation. You celebrate the college, maybe, and then, like, medical school. (laughs) Medical school, they're like, okay! Yes! We have one. (laughs) We have one. (laughs) Finally. So, so like, when I started playing sports, like, my parents really loved what it was building for me, like, in terms of being in character, like, in leadership, and a lot of those life skills that you don't realize that you need and you really can't necessarily learn in the classroom. And it also brought me and my sisters together. And so we it just became a family thing. And then once the letters started coming in, it was like, oh, wait, not only can you go to college or university, it can be paid for. And so now yeah. kicks in the, well, you were getting good grades. What kind of schools can you 
can you go to? Most people who were in Nigerian families were like, "What? Are, why do you have your daughters in sports? Like, what is this for? What is this for? Until the Stanford, uh, Stanford letter came in. And then they're like, ah, ah, <laughs> how do, <laughs> how do we get our kids? <laughs> please, tell us. <laughs> like, please, give us the blueprints. And so at that point, it was like, oh, okay. So I can be all these things and have doors open for me to the point where it was less of, oh, you know, I want to go to Stanford playing basketball, but rather like I had the opportunity to go to Stanford playing basketball. And at that point, I'm like, okay, if basketball doesn't work out, I have a Stanford diploma. And not (laughs) a lot of kids think that way. And so I'm really grateful that I had that perspective. I want to bring it back to something we talked about before you joined and then off the top of our conversation, you're talking to Chelsea. There is more awareness I guess is the right word, around the WNBA right now. And this past season, most watched since 2008, there's all these great stats about how much more awareness is happening around the WNBA. But I want to talk about how that's translating to advocacy for you and the other players and also beyond viewership. So what do you think is the key element that needs to bring more of that to the WNBA and and what's still missing? I'm glad that you use the word advocacy because that's really what it is when it comes to supporting women. It's just being an advocate, being an ally. And it's, I always tell people like when it comes to like feminism in any form or fashion, it is not exclusive to the members. You know what I'm saying? Mm. Like Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's all about wanting equity and equality for everyone and giving specific energy to a group that clearly doesn't have it. And when 2020 hit, I got invited to do a lot of talks around DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion, and all of these businesses who are now all of a sudden conscious to racism and feminism. And they were asking, like, how can we include this in our business? How can we, how can we change our culture? That was always the word. How can we change our culture? And I was just kind of like, if you go home, and you're at the dinner table, and you're not talking about these things, what makes you think you're going to do it at work? Mm. You have to you have to live it. Like, that's really what it is. Mm. And so when you like something, you seek it out. Sometimes you just naturally like something, and you discover more about it. You research more about it. If you like a particular artist, you find their music. You listen to their music. You frequent other people that listen to their music. You go to a concert. You know, like, you do those things when you like something. And so... You really just have to figure out what it is about women in sport, the WNBA, that you like. And then just go and seek it out like you naturally would anything else. That is being an advocate. Turning on the game for the first time, just because I've never watched a game, is advocacy. Like, it doesn't have to be big. It doesn't have to look grandiose. And I think that's something that a lot of people don't understand in our world today, outside of even just advocating for women in sport. Be a part of the solution. That's really all it is. Be a part of the solution. And it really grinds my gears when people are like, well, what does investment in women's sport look like? You do it for the men. Like, I don't understand. I don't understand. Why do I need to give you a, I don't need to give you an yeah, You know, like, it's, it's literally just a want to. And if you don't mm. know how to want to, think about what it is you want to advocate for. And what does that look like in your life? Everyone has a woman that they know in their life. It's, a, it's as simple as that. You know, I'd hope everyone has a black woman that they know in their life. You know, it, it, 
<laughs> should be so lucky. Yes. Yes. See. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Like that's, it's just really that easy, but like specific to like the W, like get to know the players, follow the players. It's unfortunate that like people get to know us when we have headlines that aren't necessarily, they're not happy stories. You know, it's, it's unfortunate that that's what happens. You know, yeah. it's, it's crazy. Like this year I got the most traction on social media when I posted that I had to sleep in the airport. And I'm like, I'm like, why is it like I don't want people to be, oh, yeah, something needs to get done. Like, I understand like our voices can only be heard if we speak up because no one's going to speak up for us unless we do it for ourselves. But OK, if that's what it takes. Sure. But put on a game like every player in the WNBA played out of college, more than likely, if they're not from overseas, more than likely. You have colleges that you frequent. You have your alma mater. You have players from different hometowns. Houston Connection, like that naturally creates a, a network or a common bond. So like advocacy doesn't have to look so complicated. It's really just how are you connected to this and how can you show support in that way? Ooh, that's so real. And there's like a million words you just said in there. Like that's a <laughs> word. And one of the biggest ones is this idea that it's in the struggle only that there what that there are eyeballs. Like it's when you were sleeping in the airport and you're talking about the travel issues that you and the other WNBA players are having and, you know, that you don't have the same conditions as the NBA, where it's also like, we've been new. You don't have the same conditions, right? We know that there's this inequity when it comes to these leagues and it does become you having to advocate on behalf of yourselves when like y'all are busy winning games, right? <laughs> Y'all are busy doing all these other things. And it should be, I just feel like it shouldn't be on you. And I think that when you talk about how, you know, you were called in to talk about DEI and we have all, all of us in this Zoom room have felt that exact same where they come to us and we're like, we've, we're here, we're doing it. This is now on you. This is now a you problem because we're here doing what we do. Yeah, it does feel it does feel kind of like you're just you're circling over and over again. But along the way, you know, like it's difficult because as women, like you you end up having to over explain yourself all over again. But mm -hmm. eventually, you know, each time you you make a circle like there's a little bit of traction. There's a it grabs somewhere and. That's just my the way that my mind thinks. I really do think that silence is not the answer. And I think that as long as you continue to speak up, um, there's going to be someone that listens, especially someone new that listens, you know. And the frustration, I think, is also something that's okay because one thing that is clear is that we aren't offered the right to be frustrated, you know. And that's where allyship and advocacy fills that gap, you know? And, and so, um, I learned that, I learned that heavily in 2020 when we, when we had a season in 2020 and there was just so much shit going on, so much going on. And you're just mm. in this bubble. You can't leave. You see everyone everywhere. There's a pandemic. There were moments when a lot of the black players just like, we are tired. We are tired. And, and that's why I love the W's because we really, we unify in a way that I'm not sure, I'm not sure a lot of people do, you know, we can all get into a room and just speak our piece and the, the right people will know when to talk 
and the right people will know when to listen. And I really feel like we're kind of like a microcosm of how we can move things forward. And in whatever way, in whatever groups and communities that you have, it's important for people to understand that, you know, it's everybody's going to eat. Everybody's going to eat like that. That's plain and simple. Everybody's going to eat. But, you know, um, some people have to get served first. So. Speaking of, you played overseas, Poland and Russia. We love that for you because we know you can get paid three to 10 times as much overseas. Can you tell us about your experiences as a Black woman playing sports um, internationally? Specifically, being a Black woman overseas in sport is a very a lot of books can be written on this. You know, I, I, I see a lot of social media content about black women overseas and, um, you know, basketball isn't the only sport that they pay us to play over there. There's plenty of other sports. So I'm like, I don't know, like for me, um, I, I'm, I'm Nigerian American. So I, I felt as though I kind of had um, a leg up on a lot of players and even people when it comes to like an international experience, I've been to Nigeria several times. I've been privileged to be able to travel places with my family. And then also to like through basketball, um, we have tournaments in so many different places. So like, I have a lot of experience with that. And then when the day comes where I'm like packing up four suitcases to go to Poland, I'm like, wow, really? I'm, I'm really about to go live in Poland for seven months. Like I, there was no build up, There was no countdown. It was just kind of like, all right, let me hop on this plane and go ahead and just do my job. And so I had a really open mind um, going overseas for the first time. I went to Poland and it was like a really small town in Poland. And um, my first experience wasn't bad. I was on a good team. Um, I was able to play overseas and um, make great money, make a living and kind of like, you know, of course, see the world. Um, But I also like I make sure that when I'm when I'm in a position where I have a responsibility and a job to do, that's exactly what I do. So I completely eliminate distractions. So I probably have to say that there were very few variables that would have contributed to me having like a bad experience because I really just stayed in my flat and I didn't really go a lot of places. Now, over time, I started understanding like, hey, girl, you, you play overseas. Like you, you know, like they're paying you to come out here. Like you can go and see some places. And I was in Russia for the longest. Um, and I, I had I had the privilege of, you know, traveling and understanding exactly <laughs> and understanding exactly what it took to live overseas. And so, you know, learning numbers, learning like numbers and directions was like the first thing that I had to do. And and I, I had to teach myself like how to go to the grocery store and communicate with people. I couldn't drive in Russia. They have drivers for us. And for the most part, there's no one that looks like you um, everywhere you go. Um, and that that was, I don't want to say that it was like difficult, but there was, there was a discomfort that didn't exist in me that developed when I was overseas because of me being the only black woman, most places that I was going. So everywhere I went, people were staring at me. 
obviously talking about me if I'm walking through the shopping mall. A lot of times in China, I was the first black person that they'd seen. And in China, there's really no boundaries. So like they come and they try to touch your skin and they try to touch your your hair. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> Listen. And, and take oh, and take pictures oh, of you. Maya's no. ready to fight for people just listening. <laughs> so let me tell you, the taking pictures yes. was a major issue for me. Don't, because, don't touch me. Yeah, because there's so many people in China, and like technology is like full fledged there, and there's no boundaries. So taking pictures, well, it was it was past the point of like interest, and it became what to me felt more of like a surveillance, and I didn't like that at all because. I would go mm. to the mall and my mm. teammates would know because I was circulating on what they call WeChat. And they're like, oh, yeah, people saw you at the mall and it popped up on mm. my feed. And I'm like, see, that to me is crazy. But outside of, you know, those experiences, I had like a lot of fun, like learning the languages a little bit. Um, my teammates would show me places. But for the most part, like I always erred on the side of caution because because I was a black woman, <laughs> you know, you have to, but yeah, it's very, to. very, I'm very grateful for the experience. Like I, I feel very, I feel worldly in a way that I always tell people, you can only get it by traveling. You can really only get certain things by traveling, but yeah, I, I did have to, someone tried to put their hand in my hair after a game and I was like, nah, first of all, he was small and I was like, you can't even reach. So like, why are you even trying? Oh, like, <laughs> okay. Yes. And that's right. And that's on knee surgery. What's that? Oh, yeah. 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 And I, you know, I think also, like, just to, again, keep it 100 as we're thinking about this. So um, my brother-in-law and my stepsister both played basketball internationally as well. Mm. We talked about this at the top, but I'm 6'2". Again, it's part of my personality. I come from a very tall family, an athletic family. And so my stepsister played in Austria and my brother-in-law played in Australia and he's six, eight, and she's also six feet. And when they came back, both of them said, I'm never doing that again. And they stopped playing because to some of the things that you're mentioning, the microaggressions, Mm. right? Whether it was taking pictures or touching hair or feeling like you are literally the only black person in Australia. And so I think it's really interesting to hear your mixed experience, but also ultimately one that it sounds like gave you a a lot to learn from and a lot then to take back to the States. And so I want to talk about now, knowing that right now we have someone who is currently internationally detained and has just recently been convicted, Brittany Griner, and someone who I know you have had a relationship with and you have advocated for in immense ways, continuously, continually confidently and with a consistency that is so incredibly admirable. So one, thank you for doing that and continuing to make sure that is at the top of our thoughts. But I just want to talk a little bit about for you, we're talking about advocacy and we're talking about, you know, the different experiences that Black women and Black people have internationally. For folks listening, truly, what can we do to be advocates for folks who've had different experiences or folks like Brittany who are currently having a terrible experience and her family and shout out again to Sherelle and her entire family during this time. What can we be doing here to be advocating for her? Thank you for this platform. I really, I really appreciate it, especially for BG. So the way you opened this question was remarkable in that the fact that 
both of your family members set that aside due to their experience, it speaks to the larger conversation around inequity. BG is over there because of the larger conversation around inequity. I have mixed feelings about it because I have been conditioned, or at least back then, I was conditioned to believe that that was the only option. You know, so in a lot of ways, psychologically, I had to make myself believe that some of my experiences were not as bad as I thought they were just because I was trying to live my dream. BG is a champion all over the world. She has fans all over the world. Before going back, she had talked about how she didn't want to go back. But there's this unspoken idea that we that that's the only way that we can make a real living playing and living our dreams you know that there's no other option this is a symptom of those inequities a huge symptom a huge symptom her being detained over there and advocating for her you've already done you brought her you brought her name to this platform there's a lot of people that listen to you all that may not even know what's going on with her, may never have heard her name. And moving forward, really just continuing to keep her name out there and understand that we need to communicate to the U.S. government that we have their full support in getting a deal done to get her and Paul Whelan home and all other Americans that are over there. Mm -hmm. Which I will have to also say that in tough times, Black women are still lifting others up. Mm. And I think that's something that's very important to recognize is that in Brittany being detained in her letter to the government, she included Paul. And so like, that's not anything anyone who isn't a Mm. black woman will really truly understand, but there's examples Mm. of how we serve others before ourselves And right now, Brittany's got to get served first. Like, that's just really how I feel about it. And, you know, if she gets served, other people are also going to come home. And so advocating for her by keeping her name out there is important because she's even still advocating for others while she is detained. Mm. Mm. (laughs) You just blew my mind, honestly. Because I just want to say, wow. I just want to say that there's something about this is just like when Black women get free, there is something that is unlocked because Black women are always going to advocate. If Black women are not free in every sense of the word, other people are not going to get freed. And I just feel like that is something that just like mm-hmm. my eyes water there just because it's something that's, it's, it's a fact, but it's like only Black women know that. Until we are allowed to be free in every sense, the world is going to remain oppressed and shackled because Black women whether we want to or not, literally are the key to liberty in so many ways. We didn't ask for that, but until Black women are able to be free, mm, the door is not going to get mm. open for other people. Like, that, just, like, mm. that was so good, Necta. Like, wow. wow. Um. <laughs> right. Take your time. Now yeah. we all about to cry. Let me, let me. Um, I, I feel like that's also something that you're talking about when you're talking about being the president of the Players Union right? Association, you're like, I, it's a job that no one wanted. <laughs> you know, it's a job that I just like had to step into. And as you're thinking about 
the responsibility of that, right? And the accountability of being a Black woman in charge, which is really hard. It's really, really hard. And it's often very thankless. And it's often a place of, it comes from persecution. Every, you're doing everything wrong all the time. And so I want to ask for you as someone who, again, has more eyes on you and has some more of, you know, obviously a platform, but then you have that persecution on the other side. How are you thinking of integrating some of these advocacy conversations into players association and making sure again that there are bigger regulations right or safety or equity conversations so that moving forward you know not only do we free Britney but there isn't there isn't something that happens like this again right right? How, how does that how do you maintain that and still keep going right with your season yeah um so I know this I I kind of I almost had like 2020 like really messed a lot of people up and we are all still we are all still here today. So that alone is is a blessing and a privilege. I had resources where I could stay at home and I didn't have to go outside and my family, too. In in my own way, I had to reconcile with those privileges. I had to reconcile with the privileges mm-hmm. in African culture that falsely deems Africans more valuable than African-Americans. I was sitting at home with all of that. You know, I had to sit with the privileges of being at home. I can sit, I can sit at home for a year and still be fine and not, not make any money. You know, like that is a privilege in in itself. I still had a job in 2020, even though people were struggling to figure out where, whether they could work, I was still able to play basketball, you know, as hard as it was, I was still able to play basketball. And and so kind of balancing all of that, I've learned, I've learned a couple of things. So like when I became president, I knew what I, I knew what I wanted to be better in someone who was leading me. And I, mm. I've had to grow into my voice and women are not taught to do that. And so I knew that I wanted my, my tenure as president to be that of a foundation built on communication. And so I said, no matter what, no matter what we do, as long as we're getting you information and we're hearing what you have to say and we relay relay that without changing anything, that's what I want the basis to be. And Mm. that kind of helped foster voices and opinions and input in ways that players now felt more comfortable being outspoken in interviews, on social media, you know, advocating for certain things, in meetings, speaking up, now we have players running for player representatives for the executive committee when before we were grappling to find people to do those things, all just because you gave people a space to talk. And once you give people that space, especially women, we talk a lot, a lot about we talk a lot about our differences. But when you really take the time to give people space and everyone speaks, you'd be surprised like, oh, shoot, Chelsea, really? We say the same thing. Hold on. Like Kathleen and. It, like we we actually are saying the same thing and it's less about the assumption that they don't know my struggle they don't know what I'm going through and that's really where the mobilization the uni- the unification comes and then you're able to collaborate and mobilize and so understanding what spaces allowed me to be more open 
to understanding myself, my experience and what, where I am in history, you know? And so that helped me move forward. And now we're at a point where people are seeking like answers, like direct answers from me without me even like consulting my executive committee and my, my PA staff, you know, and it can be overwhelming in a lot of ways. But one thing that you mentioned, Chelsea, is that, you know, there, it comes with a lot of scrutiny. It comes with no room for mistakes. And even though it's scary, especially for black women to, to not have a hair out of line, there's a lot of strength in revealing yourself. There's just a lot of strength in revealing yourself. And so when players come to me like, Prez, 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 I just talk to them like I'm NECA, you know, like I'm their teammate because like, that's what we are. You know, we're sisters, you know, and, I, and, and, and hearing people out, they come when they feel like you're, you're even when you're on the same, when you're on the same level. And, and to me, that's very important. I don't want anyone to ever think I'm above them, but no one's ever going to make sure that they think that they're above me either. You know what I'm saying? So I started understanding those different spaces and understanding how to relate to people and, and just hear people out because a lot of times like your issue your issue is sometimes not as bad as someone else's. And when you hear people out and give each other space, then you, you create that commonality and that bond forms naturally. I, did I answer that? Did I answer your question? <laughs> yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, you did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think yeah, yeah. you answered like every, every question, question that I have for the universe. <laughs> like truly, this is, this is so amazing. Thank you so much, Nega, for just showing up and being you. And doing you and like you said, meeting people where they are and showing who you are, because I I think, again, as we continue to have these conversations and there's more visibility, more awareness, more advocacy, more all of the things like this is these are the conversations we need to be having more and more. And these are the people we need to be having them with people who not only already know, but can go out and tell others that can go out and convert others, like you said, and. So thank you so much for coming on to Go Off This and just just blowing our minds. <laughs> Truly, you you've just really, really given <laughs> us so much, so much energy again on and off the court. And we are your fans, we are your advocates, we are your cheerleaders. Thank you for this space. You you all are doing some really great work. And um I hope I hope that you're you're receiving you're receiving what's coming to you. You know, I think a lot of, a lot of times black women are so like, no, I got to do better. I got to do better. No, take you like, receive it. You got to receive it. And I really hope you guys are because you give me so much life when I'm able to listen to you all. It's, it's fun actually like being in the room now. Cause like before I'll just be in the room, like, yes. you know, just <laughs> really, just, you look real crazy when you listen to a podcast that you love because you really feel like you're in the room. <laughs> But yeah. no, I really, really appreciate the space. I really appreciate the advocacy and we need to bring BG home. So, yes. Yeah. Boom. <laughs> Period. The Go Off This podcast is a Refinery29 original. It is produced by Rashad Isaac, Crystal Devone, Jordan Mason, and me, Chelsea Sanders. It's edited by Hanger Studios. My co-hosts today were Kathleen Newman-Bermang, Maya Carmichael, and Inaye Komanivo. 
Like what you heard and want some more? Head over to Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you listen to podcasts to catch up on all episodes. And don't forget to drop a review or leave a comment to let us know what you think. You can also find us where it all started, on Instagram, at R29Unbothered. Thanks for listening. And don't forget, it's okay to go off, sis. Money world.